Go ahead and grab a seat. So here recently, I, uh, I made corn dogs at home. And that sounds a lot fancier than it, than it really is. They're frozen corn dogs. I didn't like hand dip corn dogs or anything like that. But we didn't make it to the county fair. And we're kind of missing it. And I have to tell you, I was really looking forward to biting into kind of a piping hot corn dog slathered in mustard. That's how I like it. I was excited. I'm talking to my kids about it. And here's the thing. We were kind of in a hurry. And I was home alone with the kiddos. And things were a little hectic. And I read the instructions on the box. And I read two options. Option number one, put them on the cookie sheet. You know, kind of preheat the oven. Wait 10, 12 minutes. Option number two, microwave the corn dog and have it in like two minutes. And I was thinking, you're ahead of me. (laughs) I was thinking they couldn't be that different, right? So I took the shorter option, popped two corn dogs into the microwave, and two minutes later, took out these steaming, piping hot corn dogs, and I grabbed the mustard, and I bit in, and they were disgusting. (laughs) Mushy no flavor. They're just gross. So my conclusion is like, look, don't buy corn dogs frozen, you know, only at the fair, right? Fast forward a few weeks later, my wife, Abby, asked me if I wanted a corn dog. And I'm like, joke's on you, right? (laughs) They're disgusting. And I saw when she got done making it, this perfectly made, piping hot, golden corn dog on her plate. And I'm like, what is that? And how did that happen? And it turns out she made the corn dogs in the air fryer, which is option number three on the other side of the box. <laughs> so here's what I learned from that experience, other than I shouldn't cook anything. Effort matters. I didn't want to put in the effort. That's really all it came down to. I wanted what I wanted fast. But there was a high cost. That cost in this case was flavor. But the type of effort that we put into things matters. And if we're not careful, we actually hope that we don't have to put in a lot of effort and we want big things in return. See, we want to put in the least amount of effort for the highest amount of return. Is that true in any area of your life? Here's some examples. We want to work out once and be done for the week or the month or the year. We want to cut out soda and, you know, magically lose a hundred pounds. We want to say, I love you once a year on Valentine's day and expect our spouse to be good to go. We want our kids to obey, but the only explanation we have is because I said so. We want to spend what we want, but magically be able to save for retirement. We want to work as little as possible and get paid as much as possible. So we want to put in the least amount of effort for the highest amount of return. And I think the same is true when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to things of faith. When it comes to our relationship with God, So we want to put in the least amount of effort. And we really expect a pretty high return. Here's kind of what I mean. I think sometimes we want to microwave our relationship with God. Kind of, you know, just speed things up. But the thing about microwaving things is it usually doesn't work out the way that we want it to. And when it does work out, it isn't the same as the full version. Like microwaved popcorn is good, Movie theater popcorn, way better. So much so that we even, on the microwave popcorn, say, like, this is movie theater popcorn and lie. Like, microwave mac and cheese Easy Mac 
is okay, but grandma's homemade mac and cheese from scratch is next level. Why are all my examples food? I don't know. That's just the way it is. <laughs> See, we want to microwave things. We want things faster. We want to result faster. And we want to microwave our relationship with God as well. See, we want to go to church maybe for an hour on a Sunday or maybe every couple of weeks, and then we expect to feel God's presence the way we want and how we want. Or we want to pray when we're in trouble and we want God to answer the right way, which is our way. We want to provide on our timeline. We want to feel like we belong, or we want to feel loved at church or by God. But we don't put really any effort in knowing anybody else or loving anyone else. We want to consume sometimes without contributing. We don't like it when we talk about money or generosity or serving others or really asking anything of us. See, we want to put in the least amount of effort and we want this high return. And then when we're not growing in our relationship with God, when we're not growing you know, with other people, when things aren't happening the way we want, we blame the microwave. We blame God. It couldn't possibly be us, right? Now we're in a series that we're calling Pursuit. And we've been going through the book of Philippians, and we've been talking about this possibility that if you pursue God and godly things, God will show up in some pretty incredible ways. See, God is pursuing us too. And the series is going through the book of Philippians, and we're talking about pursuing these things that we want in our life, like joy, like unity. We're going to be talking about success, peace, contentment. And today we're talking about how to grow in our relationship with God. We're talking about this pursuit of spiritual growth. Now, Reed talked a couple of weeks ago about the book of Philippians. It's written by a guy named Paul. And Paul really kind of started off hating people who followed Jesus. And he was working to kill them or persecute them. But God showed up in Paul's story. He pursued Paul in a pretty amazing way. And when Paul was traveling to go hurt more Christians, Jesus showed up in a vision to Paul. Now, Jesus was already gone. He had already died on the cross. He'd rose again, and he'd gone back to heaven already. But Jesus visits Paul and really changes Paul's entire life. And when Paul writes the book of Philippians, Paul is in jail talking about Jesus. He's in jail for talking about Jesus, which is ironic if you think about it because he wanted to kill people who talked about Jesus. And then he writes this letter about what it looks like to follow Jesus and to grow in a relationship with him. Now, check this out and think about this in the context of kind of putting the least amount of effort, which may be the way we want to, thinking we deserve the high return. Check this out. This is Philippians 2, starting in verse 12. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So what does it mean to work hard to show the results of your salvation? Do you ever read something maybe online or in the Bible and you're like, I'm not 100% sure what that means. Sometimes we rush past it. This reminds me of a phrase that somebody might use, but maybe we don't completely understand it. Does that ever happen to you? This happens with my kids all the time. When I'm talking to kind of my little kids and I say something, I said this recently, I said, hey, don't steal someone's thunder. And they're like, how do you steal thunder? And I'm like, that is a fair question. I don't know how to answer you right now. 
So I went and researched it, and it's not interesting at all. It had something to do with Macbeth or something. I don't know. But what does this phrase mean? What is working hard to show the results of our salvation? It has nothing to do with Macbeth. Spoiler. This is what it means. It means that if you follow Jesus, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, if you've surrendered your life, what, what people were doing today, that's salvation. We're saved. And then you'll naturally work hard to show the result of your relationship with Jesus. That's what it's saying. The results of your salvation are actually listed right here. Hey, how do we know if somebody is? Well, they're obeying God. They revere God. They have all for God. They're working with God. God is in us, helping us, guiding us, giving us this desire to do what he wants us to do. Here's another way to say it. It's the theme that we're talking through today. See, we can pursue spiritual growth through obedience to God. That's really what Paul is saying. Hey, we, if you follow Jesus, he calls us to pursue spiritual growth through obedience. And I want to stop right here and acknowledge something because this isn't really a new concept. Growth isn't a new concept. It's actually an old concept in faith or outside of faith. See, pursue growth. That's all that this is saying. So in the spiritual context, I have a relationship with God. If we follow Jesus, there should be evidence of our relationship with God. But it's not so much a problem convincing people, maybe me and you, that growth is important. Growth is important in relationships. We read self-help books and blogs all the time. Growth is important at work. Growth is important in education. It's important as a human being. Growing and learning and developing is a huge part of just what it means to be alive. It's no different, actually, for our spiritual life, for our relationship with God. So convincing people like, hey, growing is a good thing, maybe that's not the issue. The issue is how in the world do we pursue spiritual growth? What does that look like? What does obedience to God look like? Because oftentimes when we're left to our own devices, when we do what we think, we want to microwave it. We want results. We want them now. We want little effort and high return. And then we're a little surprised when the relationship comes out soggy and bland. So what does Paul say? So he's saying, okay, God is working in you to show the result of following him. And then he lists a few things. We're going to work through those. This is verse 14. Check this out right here. He says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Huh? So the first example that he gives, he's like, this is what it means to obey God. Stop complaining. That's not what I would say if somebody came and said, hey, Adam, like, how do I take my next step in my relationship with God? I'd be like, well, you stop arguing. Like, I would probably wouldn't do that. But that's what Paul is saying. Why does he start with that? So let's kind of set the frame. How do we pursue spiritual growth? And he says, if you follow Jesus, stop it. Stop complaining. Stop arguing. Have you heard the old joke about the husband who was dreaming? And in the dream, he was arguing with his wife. He woke up and he was angry. His wife asked, what's the matter and the husband said, I was dreaming that we were arguing. And his wife said, oh, honey, it wasn't real. It was just a dream. And the husband said, oh, I know it was a dream. I was winning the argument. <laughs> See, when it comes to complaining and arguing, oftentimes, we're experts. 
We talked a little bit about this last week. We talked about how we're actually called to unity through humility if we follow Jesus, putting Jesus first and other people first. And I think that Paul is reminding us, hey, quit bickering about things that don't matter. Quit complaining about things that are beyond your control. And it got me thinking, do you consider not complaining a part of spiritual growth? I don't know if I I did. Like, as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, this is definitely not microwaving things. This is a really difficult thing to do. And if you follow Jesus and you want to pursue growth, Paul's saying this might be a really good place to start. Now, recently, Tim Perkins, he's the executive pastor here at the Ridge. He was up here earlier. We had an agreement. We decided that we were going to go an entire week without complaining. And it was really, really, really hard to do. So much so that like, I really wanted to complain about not being able to complain, which is kind of a weird situation to be in. Complaining, arguing isn't the same thing as noticing something needs to be done. It's not the same as looking to get better at something. It's a little more negative than that. See, oftentimes when we complain about things, like there's no solution, we just want to say something bad. I'm too hot, I'm too cold, I'm too tired, I'm too awake, I don't know, whatever. And we want to make sure that everyone knows how we feel our experience. It's easy to complain. And we, we spend time arguing about some of the weirdest things. Here's an example, and I understand that I might be stepping on somebody's toes, so I'm just warning you, this is coming, okay? But not too far from where we're, we're right now, where I'm standing, the city of Columbus installed roundabouts. <laughs> and some of y'all had some opinions about those roundabouts. Stop complaining and arguing. It's reality, right? There are things in our lives that we complain about all the time. It's easy, actually, to complain. It's easy to argue. It's easy to find where we don't agree. It's easy to tear someone down. And Paul is saying, you want to grow up? Stop it. I need to hear that. Do you need to hear that? He's saying, hey, you want to grow up? Stop complaining. Stop arguing. Complaining and arguing damages relationships. It damages our faith. It puts ourselves as the most important person in the room. And so Paul is saying, start pursuing spiritual growth by stop complaining and arguing. How else can we pursue spiritual growth? Because he doesn't stop there. He says, hey, stop it with the arguing and complaining, but then he keeps going. This is the rest of verse 15. He says, live clean and innocent lives as children of God. And then he explains what that means. Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. And we read a verse like this and we're like, well, at least I'm not one of the crooked and perverse, right? But I think we might be missing the point. So what does this mean? Well, living clean and innocent lives means we're doing our best to live our lives according to God's standard. And we're shining these bright lights. That means that through our actions and our attitudes, through our words, we share the love of Jesus. So what does it look like to pursue spiritual growth where we share the love of Jesus? Shining a light is a metaphor used in the Bible several times, light and and darkness. And it illustrates really how foundational our relationship with Jesus is. It's like going, have you ever been in a dark room and you're kind of feeling, feeling your way around and you can't see and then you turn on the light and it's almost blinding, but it's good because you can see. That's really the, the image here. We have a phrase at the ridge that kind of 
illustrates this, sharing the love of Jesus. We say it like this. This is our vision statement here. Do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ. And there are so many different ways that we can share the love of Jesus. But one way that we're highlighting this year at the Ridge is serving one another outside of the church walls, serving our community. We're calling it the 10K Challenge Year of Service. Why in the world would we do this? Why is this important? Why does this matter? Well, we believe that God has called the Ridge to serve in our local community for 10,000 hours over the next year. Why? Because he calls us to share the love and the hope and the joy of Jesus with our neighbors, with our communities, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our enemies. He calls us to be the light in the darkness. And there are so many different ways that we can do that. And yeah, there are some ways that we can do that here at the Ridge. You can check that out in the atrium if you're here in person. Go to 10kchallenge.info if you're not. But he's just calling us, like, no matter what, if you're obeying, if you're following, if you're being who I want you to be, you're sharing the love of Jesus. And I was kind of thinking about the challenge of this because the reality is we're okay with that every once in a while. But he's not talking about it every once in a while. That's microwaving it. He's talking about it every day. Share the love of Jesus every day in every relationship. Well, that's a little harder. And Paul is saying reaching other people who don't know Jesus should be a huge part of your relationship with God. And it includes how we live, and it includes how we interact with other people, and it should include the lack of complaining and the lack of arguing, and we should start sharing the love of Jesus in every situation, no matter what. And he keeps going. This is verse 16. He says, hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Well, what does this mean? What does hold firmly to the word of life mean? Well, this is talking about Jesus. The word of life is Jesus that we cling to. We hold firmly to Jesus or to the gospel or good news. That's really just the fan- gospel is a fancy word for good news. And I think one of the ways that we can cling to Jesus is through the Bible. It gives us direction. helps us understand our relationships, understand who Jesus is in a way that is pretty amazing. And Paul is saying, hold firmly to Jesus. And I think that this means, how should we pursue spiritual growth? Well, I think one thing that we can be doing is reading the Bible. That's why we believe that the Bible is so vitally important to our relationship with God. We believe that so much, so we have something here we call the Ridge Reading Challenge. The Ridge Reading Challenge is reading some verses or a chapter a day, Monday through Friday, with the weekends to catch up. And this year we've been reading an overview of the Old Testament And so there's a plan that's put together and there's a Facebook group that you can go and you can ask questions. There are videos maybe to help you understand what's going on in the book that you're reading. And we kind of get to do it together and encourage each other. So if you're going, hey, I don't know how to read the Bible. I don't know where to start reading the Bible. I'd encourage you to check this out. Go to the QR code right here. It's there in the seat back in front of you. If you're online, pause right now. Go check out what the Ridge Reading Challenge can look like. And maybe you have never read the Bible. I'd encourage you, here's your chance to start. It doesn't matter where you're starting. It matters that you're doing it. Build kind of the habit. Now, maybe you do this all the time. 
Maybe you've been reading your Bible for a really long time. I love reading my Bible too. Here recently, actually, I was reading the Ridge Reading Challenge, but here's the amazing thing kind of about reading your Bible. I was reading the Ridge Reading Challenge and I'm like, I don't remember this being in the Bible. I've read the Bible all the way through a couple of times. I don't remember this. You're like, this isn't the Bible? Like, whoa. See, God can use and speak and interact with us through the words, through Scripture. And reading the Bible is important. It gives us direct access, actually, to God in a really unique way. That's why Paul, I think, brings up the gospel, which is the heart of the Bible. The entire story of the Bible is about the good news of Jesus. And do you see what Paul is doing? He's using these different aspects in our life. We grow in relationship with God through using our words and actions wisely. That's the stop complaining stuff. We're pursuing God by our actions. That's the share the love of Jesus and shine a bright light stuff. And now we're growing on our relationship with God by what we hold on to firmly. That's what we choose to believe. That's the Jesus and the Bible stuff. And then he wraps up this section in verse 17. This is what he says. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life. And we could stop right there. Who here would say that? It takes some Jesus to say that. I will rejoice even if I lose my life, even if I die, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. See, keep in mind that Paul is on house arrest when he's writing this. And if anybody had the right to complain or argue, it's Paul. If anybody has the right to say, look, I've done what I need to do. I've shown the bright light. I've shared Jesus. It's Paul. But he decided instead that he would continue to be a good example. He would continue to obey. He would continue to pursue growth. And he practiced what he preached. He's facing a death sentence. And he views it as an act of worship, a sacrifice a drink offering, he says, to God. A liquid offering at that time would have been a traditional way to respond to God. They had these kind of sacrifice systems to make their relationship right with God, and it was poured over the main sacrifice at the altar. So what's that mean? What's Paul saying? He's saying what's going on in your life, whatever's going on in your life, the good and the bad and the great and the ugly, no matter what's going on in your life, we can pursue our relationship with God. And if we pursue our relationship with God, even to the point of being obedient in tough circumstances, being obedient in death, it can be seen as an act of worship, response of gratitude for who God is and what he's done through Jesus. So how do we continue to pursue this relationship to pursue spiritual growth? Well, worship. Now we're going to go in depth on what worship is and isn't and all of that stuff in a couple of weeks. But for now, I'll say this. Worship is more than singing. And I've heard some of y'all sing, and I'm really glad that it's more than singing. (laughs) Worship is more than just one act, one thing, one behavior. It's more than coming to church on Sunday. See, worship is when our entire lives, everything about us, are dedicated to God. 
It's constant. It includes all the things that we've mentioned today, reading the Bible, prayer, singing, serving others, giving any and every part of living. That's what we're talking about when we talk about worship. And this whole thing that Paul is talking about is wrapped up in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, and it's because Jesus did what he did on the cross, conquering death, that we have this amazing relationship with God. And when we have the relationship with God, we respond. We stop complaining. We share the love of Jesus. We read the Bible. We cling to Jesus. We worship in our lives because of our love of God. That's really what he's saying. That's what it means to work hard to show the result of your salvation. Now, here's what I believe, that every single person hearing these words online in person, that you're here because God brought you here and that you have a next step in your pursuit of spiritual growth. Now, I don't know what it is. We kind of say it here at the Ridge. This is how we say it. We relentlessly pursue next steps, that God loves us so much that he is pursuing us, helping us grow, that we are called to obey and relentlessly pursue next step with him. And I know that growth is something that we can pursue. We can put effort into. And Paul says it like this in chapter 3. This is what he says. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. And I don't know about you, but this verse just eases so much stress. It's not about arriving at the destination. It's about the journey with Jesus, that he's with us, guiding us. But I press on, Paul says, to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. Of anybody who'd have achieved it, it's not the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. That's relationship with him in heaven. Do you see how this all builds together? We press on. We surrender our attitude and action to God. We do our best to obey. We can't rush it. We can't microwave it. But every single person hearing these words has a next step. So the question is, How is God prompting you to pursue growth? Because I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, he is for every single one of us. And maybe it's one of the ways that we've talked about. Maybe you just need to stop complaining and arguing. I don't know. Maybe you need to share the love of Jesus. Maybe you need to join the 10K challenge. Maybe you need to read your Bible, join the Ridge Reading Challenge. Maybe it's something I didn't mention, and that's okay. Because it doesn't matter what examples I give because God can help you identify and take the next step. But no matter what, we press on. Now, I don't know what your week was like. Maybe it was the best week ever. And that's an awesome thing to celebrate. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe you had a rough week, a rough month, a rough year. And I don't know what the next week will bring you either. But no matter what is going on in our lives, Paul encourages us, we press on. Life can be difficult. And one of the reasons we want to microwave our spiritual growth is we want results now. But Paul says, we don't achieve perfection here. We don't arrive. We just press on. We take the next step. Maybe you had a crazy weekend where you made some decisions that you regret today. We press on. Maybe you had a fight on the way to church. 
we press on. Maybe you're smack dab in the middle of something difficult, you know, the illness or the depression or the anxiety, and you see no hope, but we press on. Maybe your debt is crushing you, we press on. Your relationships leave you feeling empty, or you think life is going pretty well and you don't see a need for this Jesus stuff, we press on. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, we can pursue next steps, we press on by pursuing spiritual growth through obedience to God. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, help us press on. You pursue us. You love us so fully, so perfectly. You're so good to us. You continue to chase after us. You continue to pursue us. And as we follow you, you ask us to just surrender who we are in all areas of our life, in our relationships, with the words that we speak, with the things that we care about, the things that we speak, things we think about, that you love us so fully and you draw us into relationship with you for our own good because of Jesus and the love and the hope and the joy and the peace that comes along with living life with him. So this week, right now, prompt us towards the next step you want us to take. Help us know what it is so fully that it nags at us if we don't take it. That you've made it so abundantly clear to us in our head and in our heart that other people can come alongside us and help us and pray for us, but that you pursue us and nag us and it drives us crazy until we surrender who you want us to be. Thank you for your love and for the cross and for this opportunity that we have to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. Thank you for the way that you provide for us through Jesus. Help us cling to Jesus. Thank you for being so good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.